Welcome back to the Devin Kershaw Show from FasterSteer.com. I'm Nat Hurst. It's been a second since you last heard from us. We and the World Cup circuit were on a break after the Tour de Ski. Racing just resumed last weekend at the high-altitude track of Livigno, Italy, and is now headed to France. We're here with a breakdown from Livigno, and we know we've promised a mailbag episode. You'll hear a little bit more about that on this podcast, but we're still shooting to get that out in the next week. We'll be back in just a minute. This episode of The Devin Kershaw Show is brought to you by Mount Bachelor Nordic Center. Located outside beautiful Bend, Oregon, the Mount Bachelor Nordic Center has 56 kilometers of daily groomed Nordic trails. With a season that typically runs late November until the end of May, Mount Bachelor has one of the longest Nordic seasons in North America. The Nordic Center hosts a full rental fleet, various instructional classes for all ages and abilities, an on-site retail store, and the Cozy Nordic Cafe. So be sure to check out this winter wonderland this season. To learn more about tickets, passes, and resort amenities, go to mtbachelor.com. There we go. Yeah. How are we doing? Wonderful. I'm in, uh, I'm in my little uh, co-working space that I've been uh, hanging out at. I got my free on-tap kombucha. So, like, this is... This is Alaska. It's not even Brooklyn. And we, we got, we got good stuff going on at the boardroom. Yeah. That's just crazy. Like this is, that's some straight up, this should definitely be, you should be in Portland, even behind you. Like there's greenery and where's the drab gray that is Anchorage in January. I don't see it. Yeah, no, we got like a, we got a little like video board, a whiteboard for our startup ideas over here typewriter so and yeah some kind of books i think it's um it's a good scene what about you i like it i just got back so i'm i'm eating a bit so i'm gonna have to just be on it with the mute button so people don't get disgusted but you know what it's nine it was a big day and brother's got to eat man and i got home 20 minutes ago so what what do you want from me you having some good uh some good finnish uh delicacies some potatoes and uh other white things or what bolognese Homemade bolognese, highly okay. recommend. Although nice. I didn't make it here, I made it back in the Alhambra. I'm in Oslo right now, so it was yeah. uh, took it from home because I knew today would be a long day. So, but I'm good. I'm psyched that the the World Cup after the tour is always like a, a real afterthought, and we even got one week to recuperate. Usually, there's a race the week after the tour. Thankfully, they did away with that, so we had one more extra week. But even still, Sprint Weekend, Lavinio. What do you think about that? What I mean, first, first of all, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna just come right out and say it. I thought there was a rule that said you couldn't have races over 1,800 meters. I guess that doesn't, as long as it's a tax-free province in Italy, it's fine. Or like, I mean, it was. I've been, I've spent more days in Lavinio than I can count, and it looked great on TV. No question, it's very wintry, and and the course we can get back to that, but. But it, it was illegal. It's an illegal height. It's 30 meters over the, the height limit at the high point of the course because it's 1814, right? At, or 1816 at, on the, in the main street there at Livigno meters above sea level. And then I think it was 1830 or 1835 on the course um, elevation wise. And so it's over the legal limit, but had a couple of great races. There's probably a fist council member from Lavinia who, you know, got, I mean, originally this race, if I'm remembering correctly, was scheduled to be in Milan. 
uh, and then they moved it. I don't know if that was because of snow issues or because of just the Milani's folks not being uh, super stoked. I I did feel like, you know, it, it felt a little bit like, and, and we can talk about the course, but it, it, I, you could kind of see folks like dying a little bit out there. Um, at, like I thought particularly in the, in the men's final, like seeing uh Klugne go like from the very front to like, could not stand on his skis by the time he got to the finish line. I was like, that's uh that's skiing at 5,500 feet for sure. Um, so yeah, but you know, I, I, I'm like, it's, it's been a topic of conversation on the, on the world cup circuit this year about, you know, what are we going to do if it's summer in, in Oberstdorf and the only place we can find winter is 5,500 feet. And maybe we're going to have to uh, change that height limit, which, you know, could be a subject of conversation on this or, or future podcasts for sure. Um, I was, you know, I grew up on the East coast, grew up racing at the East coast university, circuit. So literally I've never had to race, never had the privilege of racing at altitude, but, um, seems kind of, kind of miserable, particularly like if you're, um, not r- really doing a whole program to kind of get yourself ready for it. I know we've talked about that, but, um, yeah, nonetheless, it was, it was beautiful. looked like glorious, glorious racing. Um, I mean, the course I, there was, there's a Instagram account. I follow, uh, XCS warriors that, um, is pretty good at like, they publish like some, like, clips from international news sources and stuff. I don't know if you follow those guys, but they, they had like a little poll uh, one day this weekend and they were like, is the course in Lavinio boring? Snooze. Yes. No. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, I don't know. I don't know what you thought. It definitely did not, you know, they were basically like skiing on a golf course with like a little bridge over a river that was being described as a very steep hill which was not a very steep hill or a significant terrain feature at all, which, you know, I don't know. I mean, I feel like you win some, you lose some, and sometimes you have to go to places that, that, you know, don't get a lot of world cup traffic. We're expanding the sport, but also like that it definitely left a little bit to be desired. No, for sure. A lot to unpack there. <laughs> I agree. I think we'll start with like <clears throat> Milan. Of course, it's just, it was actually good that they proactively moved that thing when Russia invaded Ukraine, started a war, and then energy prices just shot to the roof, plus the climate crisis that is the world in 2023. And the Italian Ski Federation and the organizing committee took the apt decision and the only decision and looked at how expensive electricity was and said, we are not going to truck in a whole bunch of snow in Italy right now in Milan and have a city sprint in the current climate which is the right decision. It's in some ways it's sad because like these city sprints are fun. They're super fun and it's good for the sport. It really is. Like I think that Dusseldorf of old or Dresden or Milan. I mean, we've heard for the last over 20 years, I've heard, imagine having a sprint in central park in New York city, at least New York city is cold in the winter, but, but regardless. So there's, they're in one on one side of the coin it's super super fun and let's not kid ourselves like the world cup of cross-country skiing and everything around it is horrendous for the environment like absolutely horrendous these athletes have like 40 to 100 pairs of skis each they're driving around big transport trucks burning cscs like directly it is it there's nothing about that they're getting new shit like every 10 seconds whether it's clothes equipment like stuff they're hawking said gear 
to the world and to the masses so that other people consume more. So like, we can't say that this is like, we don't follow cross country skiing because it's the pillar of sustainability. That said, so the move, so the move from Milan to, to Lavinia was the right call. The fact of the matter is though, it is quote unquote, a legal height. And of course these legalities, these height legalities are, are, are completely made up. Uh, they're a figment of our imaginations. It's not like people's hearts blow up when they're over 1800 meters. You got to think of the Tour de France and Giro d'Italia and the big bike cycling races, this, the three week stages where they're going up and over passes that are over, you know, the Stelvio is over 2,700 meters. And they race that in the Giro d'Italia, the, the Tour of Italy. And it's not like, yes, okay, the top of the pass hits 27, just over 2,700 meters. So you're like, well, they're only there for like 10 seconds. Like, no, no, they're, they're going from the valley bottom all the way up. So they're spending quite a bit of time at a legal height from cross-country skis perspective. And I'm sorry, like, it's going to be a big challenge for cross-country skiers. It's going to be a big challenge for the athletes when they move the altitude limits up. But they're going to have to do that because Europe this winter has been brutal for snow. A lot of Nordic combined races have been canceled. Uh, people that follow Bathlon will have noticed that Germany has been horrendously bad for snow. We have the world championships in Bathlon coming up here really quickly in Oberhof. There's not, no snow to speak of there. Rupelding, which is the home and colon of Bathlon. So in, in Rupelding, Germany, which is in Bayern, not that far from Munich, is, is the mecca for Bathlon. And the races were held there not that long ago, like a week and a half ago. And there was, there's no snow. It was just like a strip of white in January. So we're going to have to come to terms with this, but so they went to Lavigno and they probably looked at it and went like, yeah, well, you know, it's close enough to the limit. Lavigno has a lot of money. It has a humongous and rich cross-country ski history. A lot of athletes since the dawn of professional skiing have been training in Lavigno for good measure because it's a great, great place to train for, for altitude training as you prepare for championships or even in training camps four seasons as well, not just in the winter, it's, it's got good roller skiing and uh, don't get me started on what I think of Vigneault. The running's beautiful. Um, terrain wise though, what makes it a great place to, to train at high altitude in the winter, easy terrain where you can keep your heart rate controlled and have good solid training makes for insanely boring courses. And I would have hit snooze and boring if I could hit both in that poll because the course itself I found was boring, but that said, again, you have to also give Livigno cut them some slack. I'm cutting them some slack because I know, I know this for a fact. They've had world championship for mountain biking. They've had a lot of different events in a lot of different sports and they put on a great show. And had they known that the world cup of cross country skiing was coming to Livigno and it was maybe going to come every year or be more of a stable, they would make a better course. I guarantee that. Yeah. If, yeah. if, if it goes to Lavinio in the future, if Lavinio will be a stop on the World Cup in the future, you will see amazing courses. They will just cut and make new ones. But with short notice and with what they were dealt with, they just went up the valley, turned and burned, went over bridges that had an elevation of maybe three and a half meters. I don't know, four or five meters. I've skied over those bridges like 10,000 times or more. So I know the terrain. So it's really like up valley, turn, down valley, then, then that long punishing finishing stretch yeah. which is a gradual uphill <laughs> with no break and yeah people were tying up left right and center and in some ways it's like kind of exciting to see these athletes look human but on the other side of the coin it as an ex-racer myself it's oh it's painful to watch like well, it was tough. 
So I have a question related to that, which is make the argument for everyone's racing at the same altitude. It's not like if we go above the current height limit, like Clybo gets to race at a hundred meters lower than everyone else. Cause he's better. Like it's a level playing field is the only argument for not racing above the height limit that it looks bad. Cause folks get tired. Uh, is it damaging to your physiology or are there other you know reasons why you'd say we shouldn't, shouldn't do it? Uh, uh, this is my perspective. And I think a big reason is back in the days, if you were above 1800 meters or 2000 meters, it's cold. Every hundred meters you gain in elevation, you lose a centigrade in Celsius for temperature gets colder by one cent, one Celsius, every hundred meters in elevation, all things being equal. So if you're racing in the Alps, the high Alps, especially in Switzerland, like the Engadine Valley, it's cold. The Vino too can be very cold. And, the, the, the health limits that we have in cross-country skiing are more to protect your lungs. And when you're racing below minus 20, it is damaging to your lungs. It's, it, no part of that is good. And no, minus 19 is also not good for your lungs. Minus 18, which is the limit in some events on the World Cup, is also not good for your lungs. Neither is minus 17. So when you get into these higher elevations, the chances that you're going to have races right at the limit or below the limit, then you start having races being canceled that's costing a lot of money, that, that sort of thing. So I think probably that was a major reason, but, but physiologically, is it more taxing to race at altitude than at sea level? 100% it is. It's harder on the systems. Extraction of oxygen is harder. Everything's harder. Is the difference between 1800 meters and 1850 meters that big? The answer is absolutely not. The difference between racing at 1800 meters and 2300 meters, mind you, is very different because it is not just a, a linear relationship with the physiological demands and altitude. It's not, it, it kind of pitches in, like you, you can kind of pitches up plateaus, pitches up kind of thing. And 1800 meters, you are definitely in quite the pitch for a physiological demand on the body. So that said, 1850, not very much difference from 1800, um, 1900, not that, that much difference from, from 1800, but 2100 meters, like scientifically from the physiological demands is quite a huge difference, even though it is only 300 meters higher. So 1800 meters is kind of that like arbitrary, but also weird spot in exercise physiology that a lot of things are happening on the demands of the body. So that said, I think we're going to have to see it though. You're going to have to move the, you're going to have to move the elevation up. And especially when you have places like the Engadine in Switzerland and Lavigno, for example, that have such a rich cross-country ski history, a lot of money and a willingness and accommodation to host the best in the world. You're going to have to start taking advantage of this. I'm sorry. And um, I think we'll see that moving forward. Dockstein, uh, Dockstein Glacier 2030 uh, World Championships. Look forward to it. Um, well, should we, should we get into these... Uh, races that that did happen this weekend start start with the uh start with the women perhaps uh nice nice to uh finally see uh Lynn Spawn after a two-year absence and and Jonas Sundling after a several month absence huh yeah yeah you know like we had some we had some 
top, we had some discussions earlier in the season. It's like, wow, the Swedish sprint women weren't, didn't really deliver. Like we thought, well, you know what, when all the Swedish sprint women are firing on all cylinders, thank you. And good night. It was outstanding racing. Sundling has not missed a beat. I know we talked about this before, but we have gotten a lot of questions about it. Even after we talked about it, everyone's like, where is Sundling? Because he was just so fantastic, especially at the tail end of last year on the podium in Holman Colon in 30Ks, the best sprinter in the world, Olympic champion in sprint. Everyone was like, where is she? Hype was huge. She got sick just before the season, just, just before Ruka. And it wasn't COVID apparently, but she got hit with a pretty nasty respiratory virus that kept her out of a lot of races moving into the season. She didn't feel like she was, even though she was healthy at this point, she didn't feel like she was ready to take on a tour to ski. So she sat out that, but she has been racing in Sweden. She raced the Swedish cup. She raced the, the Falun Scandinavian cup. And then she came to Lavigno and she was just, she looked so bad. She, she didn't miss a beat. She looked completely dominant in the qualification and then in the finals and her heats, she was skiing with such it, it was it was perfect skiing on the sprint style for women. She has so much power and she hits her angles almost like a metronome every single stride. And even at high altitude, there's no chinks in her armor and she comes away with a beautiful victory. Lynn Svon, again, 600 days is since we last saw her coming into this weekend. In cross-country skiing, like, this ain't alpine, baby. Like, she's not, you know, having spiral fractures of her tibia because of gnarly falls down the, the strife and Kitzbühel. Like she had this shoulder injury that she had to operate multiple times and it has taken forever. Like I'm shocked actually. I mean, I'm no orthopedic surgeon, but, but still like this was a long, long recovery. But like you said, Nat, like she looked great. She made the final. Sure. She kind of came undone a bit in the final, but, but that's fair. She hasn't raced in so long at the highest level. Again, she was also racing domestically in Sweden the last few weeks, but but still, she she looked great. Ribom, of course, is just having a great season. And Fenrik, who has won every sprint the last, like, four sprints in a row, she ends up fourth. And it was kind of surprising. I was surprised that she tied, she tied up there. But in the in the end, like, she was right in there. And then that long drag with that gradual uphill, it looked like she was going to hold on for a podium. But she just tightened up. And she, she lives in Davos, right, which is 1,600 meters. It's not that big a difference from, from Lavinio. But... Just ran out of steam again, but we shouldn't be too disappointed. She's still in the final. She's fourth. She's having the best season ever. Switching to Solomon was the best decision of her entire life, and uh, she's proving that again. And then Julia Kern was a phenomenal race. She looked great in her quarters. She looked great in her semis. And in the final, for sure, she ran out of steam. I mean, she ran out of steam in a big way coming up that finishing stretch. I was really, really inspired to see her skiing so well in skate sprinting, which should be her bread and butter. She's made a lot of semifinals this year, but she's also been a little inconsistent at times here and there. And I saw, well, I saw only good things. We'll get to what happened in the team sprint, but in the sprint itself, I thought Julia Kern put together a fantastic, fantastic day skiing very strongly, positioning herself well, making smart decisions. Yeah. So she runs out of steam in the end, but she's still sixth. This is uh this is a this is a great sprint. So the final itself was was awesome. And there's a lot of other small stories in there too that I was that I wanted to ask you about because you know, Rosie again, like Rosie makes the decision to come off her fourth place at the Tour de Ski and jump right into Lavigno 
She ends up 11th. That's a solid sprint. I was expecting more from Rosie. I'm not going to lie. At 1800 meters, a course like that and a grindy finish like that. I almost kind of would have expected that we would reverse that and said like Kern finished 11th and Rosie finished sixth kind of thing with that final. That's kind of what I was expecting. Uh, instead, Rosie just in the individual sprint didn't look that sharp to me. She, she, you know, she was just her technique wasn't really on point she just looked like she was firing at like 85 percent. if i'm being honest and here is where i want to go next and then you gotta stop me but jesse diggins making smart decisions making insanely smart decisions and for those of which wanted to know like how's diggins going to be at world championships when i saw her not starting a high altitude weekend two weeks after a fucking train wreck of a tour de ski I was so pumped. I'm like, yes, Jesse is showing like veteran smarts here by sitting out a meaningless race when there's nothing in it for the overall for her. She could have won that. Who is, who's the best, not best. I mean, that's Sun Ling and, and Emma Ribom and, and Dahlquist and stuff, but Jesse Diggins, skate sprint, high altitude, tough drag to the finish line. That's got Jesse Diggins' name written all over it. It's a good podium chance for her. But instead, she makes the only decision, I, I think, if I was her coach, and the smartest decision. She was in Seafeld. She unwound, enjoyed time in the sun. Seafeld skiing is great. It's not altitude in Seafeld. She's at 1,100 meters and sits out Lavinio. Man, look out for world championships. That was that was by far the right and she got and she got time uh with with her husband as well which you know that seems like a good way to recharge i mean i i, I thought it was interesting to see kind of the different decisions taken by folks across the board um free carlson it sounds like has like a cold or something so she was sick she's not there um but then clibo also like he now seems like he is kind of back in the hunt for the overall world cup. And it seems like there was a little bit of controversy in that, like he bailed out of the Norwegian national championships to go race in, in Lavinio and kind of justifies himself by winning that race going away. But also it's like, you know, okay, you, I mean, just kind of interesting, you know, he definitely, I think no one would have argued with him if he'd skipped that race as well after the performance that he laid down in the, in the tour de ski. Um, also kind of brings up a, a subject. I mean, when it comes to Rosie, I mean, I, I'm, I haven't heard too much from her. I mean, I, I do think that the course and the altitude seems like it did really suit her well and, you know, could have been, you would have liked to have seen a better result. I mean, I think that said, like she and Julia Kern will talk about the, the team sprint yesterday, but I think, you know, Rosie's a, a pro she's in her thirties, like this is her job. And I think, you know, I, I, if I was her, I don't think I'd want to like, you'd be leaving money sitting on the table, not starting those races. Like, I, I think that might be a consideration for sure. Yeah. And I'm going to cut in here. Notice I was talking about Jesse's smart decision by skipping Lavinio. Rosie was the antithesis of Diggins during the tour. Rosie was solid, finished fourth in the tour, came out of the tour with a great uphill, best uphill of her career by far classic races was great she had really great shape and she did what most people do when they finish the tour really really well as long as they don't get sick is you you decompress a little bit after the tour but then you use the shape that you've made so rosie doing these races in the video absolutely the right call 
100 percent but but diggins equipment aside <clears throat> she was a shadow of herself in some of these classic races skiing poorly technically and without enough energy and even in the skate races themselves got lucky in the 20k that she was able to start so far back and kind of use that to her motivation plus it was an easy course and fast conditions and and um they're just on totally different it's a totally different situation yeah. so if i would have been rosie's coach i would have said like yeah take the shot of course like why not it doesn't cost you much anyway you're in great shape altitude has little to no effect on you because you grew up in park city and you also thrive at altitude you like it you have to be at altitude anyway for for preparing or she's going to be to prepare for the world championships why not just take a shot here and it paid off for her so with rosie was the right call coming back to the men though well well let me let, let me also just add very quickly i did want to note there were four u.s women in the heats which you know i think this was definitely far from a normal world cup with you know, there are a ton of Norwegians missing. Uh, the Finns were not there, but cool to see both Elena Sonneson and Lauren Shortberg uh, make it into the and, and mix it up in the heats. Um, but yeah, we can we can move on to the men. I, I have some thoughts about who is there and who is not there in the men's race, but maybe you should take us take us through it first. Well, I think it was really interesting you said the Claybo thing because after Claybo got sick around Lillehammer, he did like most Norwegians do. And Claybo is usually not that style of Norwegian. This is more like a Petter Nortug deal. But he essentially says, like, I don't care about the overall. It's done. I'm never going to win it anyway. Like, whatever. I, like, with the new scoring system, like, as soon as you start skipping races, it's over. Then he wins six races in a row. And the Tour de Ski wins the overall Tour de Ski. And bang, after the Tour, he's leading the overall World Cup. And he realizes the person that's in second is a total all-around beast that has turned to skating around something fierce in Paul Goldberg. He makes the decision to skip Norwegian nationals. There was, there was some noise about that, you know, and there is some noise here in Norway with, with the whole thing. And I, I'm sound like a broken record, but I, I blame fist for scheduling these races and not having, you need to give countries a week to, if you want to grow the sport and you want to have like good recruitment, you need to give the bigger countries, which is, Sweden, Norway, Russia, if they were back in the World Cup, Finland, you know, France, you need to have a, a break in the World Cup to have these national championships because they're super, super important for the longevity of the sport. When you schedule a World Cup and Norwegians, as they've been lately, are in the hunt for the overall World Cup or in the hunt for the Sprint Globe, <laughs> what they're between a rock and a hard place here. Like they want to help the domestic the domestic scene and be there but they also want to win max money and it's not about the money for the best norwegians they're making enough money but they want to they want to compete in the world cup and they want to win the overall world cup so i thought that was interesting i also thought it was interesting though that the whole norwegian men's sprint team other than other than Klebo, race nationals they raced the sprint on the Thursday in Jovic here in Norwegian Nationals, Friday they flew to Lavinio. So they flew, they flew in cold. And we'll get back to that because the team sprint, you saw guys, you saw guys that were hanging out at sea level and then day three at high altitude, just completely they had no chance in hell. Um, but Paul again, like Goldberg, it's crazy to think that the guy that finishes fourth is losing ground on the overall world cup with a performance like that, but you're, you're up against the best skier that's ever lived. And 
and it was something impressive. I think the final was like crazy fun in the men's. I, I, one thing that jumped out at me was Valerio Grom, who is so young and so exciting, 22 years old, born in 2000. And like, talk about someone coming undone completely in that long gradual finishing stretch, but like good on him for trying. Cause like with a hundred meters to go, I'm like, Grom is for sure hitting the podium here. Then he self-destructed something fierce in the final, blew up completely. And Ribli, who's also young, 25-year-old from Switzerland, he's been quite good in sprints here and there before, um, sneaks in for bronze and he celebrated like he won. It was so awesome for the Swiss the Swiss team to have two guys in the final. And just the way it all played out, super interesting. Juve, amazing like finishing stretch by Juve versus Klebo. Juve was so close to taking down the champ for the second time this year. Klebo won by the skin of his teeth, but again, you know, you're coming right from sea level. Juve lives at higher altitude. He's been prepared better. I, I wouldn't be worried. If you're a Klebo fan, I wouldn't be worried, but Juve put together like just a beautiful sprint. I, I thought the final was a lot of fun and there's a lot of other little storylines in the, in the men's race. So I want to get. Yeah. I mean, my favorite part, I think of that whole men's race was watching those uh, two Swiss guys, Ribli and Grand in their semifinal, uh, like both win the semifinal and they like cross the line. And they, those guys are just like, they're celebrating like they won the race uh, to get into the final together. Like they literally gave each other a hug across the finish line. I was like, this is, this is great. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. It was, it was great to watch. I, I, I love when, uh, when Clybo looks human, we, we got an email from Chris Freeman the other day, the, the former American, uh, you know, veteran world cups here. And, and he, um, among other things, he described Clybo's technique as like annoyingly perfect in all situations. And, and I, I just like, I wanted to share that. And I think just anytime Clybo is made to look remotely human, like, like he was in that race. Like it was great. Definitely, um, want to race glass to Kevin Bolger, who, you know, has not, I think had the year that he's wanted to have, has had real trouble, like making heats. And then, uh, finally, you know, really kind of skied a dominant, uh, quarterfinal heat and, and was mixing it up in, in the semis, in the, in the men's race. Um, I also, maybe there are some other stuff to, to cover here, but I really want to talk about, uh, and, and I feel like I'm probably going to repeat myself from last year, but, uh, Gus Schumacher, uh, JC Schoonmaker, Ben Ogden, all those guys are, uh, back here in the U S Ben Ogden, it, uh, was racing the college circuit this past weekend. Uh, JC has been in Tahoe. Uh, Gus has been here in Anchorage and, Oh man, I love all those guys and I want them. I want the best for them. And I just, I, I hate seeing Americans come back to America in the middle of the season, because I just feel like it's so hard to do that and maintain your fitness, not get sick, deal with the time change, and then go back to Europe and do it again. And I'm just like, I don't think that it's impossible. Like, I think we've seen it done that some Americans have, come home, gone back to Europe for championships, like had good results after a camp. But I, I'm just like, oh man, we need like, we need to move those guys like families over to, over to Europe rather than bring them back here. Cause it just, oh man, it just, it makes me worried, you know, but 
that being said, I get that there is, it's, it's awesome that those guys are, are back home. Like Ben is mixing up in on the like collegiate circuit after like, you know, top five or something on the, on the tour to ski. Like it, it is kind of absurd. Um, but you know, those guys, they're 22, 23, 24, like they've got a lot more ski racing ahead of them too. So yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I'm going to take the devil's advocate here and, and be on the other side. I, I agree. Normally, if you're a senior and there's nothing going on and you come back after the tour, you're taking a big risk. You are. Cause especially with a lot of illness and we've seen that decimate a lot of teams this year and a lot of athletes. So you, you are taking a big risk. That said, I am so incredibly moved and thrilled that JC and Gus came back because you know, what's coming starting next week, dude, under 23 world championships and world juniors. And you know where they are Whistler and you know, who's going guys that have finished top 20 repeatedly in Gus and top 12 in JC. And they're going to under 23s at home in North America and they're going to fucking make some waves, man. And they're going to be ready and they're going to fight and they're going to kick some ass. And as far as their development is for their career, it's going to give them confidence and they're going to take that confidence. And will that be the best prep for Planitza? Perhaps not. Who cares? You're 22. You're not top 10 every single weekend on the World Cup. The World Cup isn't exactly where you need to be if you want to win the Olympics in 2026 or 2030 or whatever. JC is a bit of a special case because sprinting when he's firing on all cylinders, he is top 10. He is best. But imagine JC comes out with a medal at under 23s. Imagine Gus, who, let's be honest, world junior champion, back-to-back relay golds, big-time leader of that team, top 10 in a race his first year senior, since that has struggled. Gus has struggled and had some solid results in the Tour de Ski. Solid. Not great, but solid. And now at under 23s, he has a real opportunity to test his medal against, and Norway's coming to under 23s with like some heavy hitters too. Like there's great racers coming from Norway over. There's great racers from other countries too. So I am thrilled that those guys decided that like, you know what? I'm not top 10 in the World Cup day in, day out. I'm going to go to under 23s. I'm going to I'm going to make it rain. And when the euros have to deal with the travel, I'm going to be on my home side and I'm going to deliver. And I think that'll help them in the future, be more comfortable and get better results. JC who in the world championships, this is the sprint. That's it kind of thing. Like it's not going to affect this sprint whatsoever. Gus. Yeah. You know, he's got a lot of races at, at uh, world championships. So there could be an argument there, but I'm going to kind of throw some shade at like a decision that was made from the Canadian side is Conversely, Olivier Levillier decides to not go to under 23s when they're at home. When he's raced every weekend, he's been top 30 once. He has 127th place. And let's repeat again, this World Cup this whole season has been weak without the Russians. I have to say it. So like that 27th place is a 33rd place in the normal World Cup. Um, so he has no points. Essentially, he has some World Cup points, but top 30 once. And he decides, nope, he had to, so he was forced to go back and race trials because we have like kind of like an American track and field trials over here. Like if you don't meet the criteria, the international criteria benchmarks, then you have to come home and you have to qualify. That's just how it is. I mean, sorry. Yeah, especially the, the, the criteria, as far as I'm concerned, isn't hard at all in Canada uh, to make. <clears throat> so he had to come home. He raced trials. He r- raced trials 
turned around the next day, flew back to Europe. And now Olivier is skipping under 23s to prepare for world championships. And here's where I'm ranting. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, yeah, because here's the deal. Who gives a fucking shit that if you're 18th at world championships? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like, who cares? Honestly. But if you win a medal at under 23s in your home country, it can give you a lot of confidence. And like Alex Harvey raced under 23s, I'll have you know. He won the year that Alex Harvey won under 23s in Otaka. He was like meddling on the World Cup multiple times and was top 10 all the time. Like he was a boss on the World Cup and he went to under 23s. And we have Canadians with a home championship in Canada kind of pack fill racing as pack fill skipping it to prepare for a world championship where yeah okay man like a great race you're 14th you know like i'm and that's i'm not trying to shit on 14th of the world it's an amazing result but it's not top six like you, the world championship sorry to be cynical but i mean like you know what i mean so yeah. i think it was i think it was the wrong so i think it was the wrong decision by olivier and and um big time and I think it's the right decision by Gus and JC. And I'm actually surprised JC is making that decision. I'm stoked for him. And it makes me psyched to cheer him on. I'm not going to be there, but like virtually cheer him on at the under 23s. I heard that Ben isn't going to go to under 23s. And that also makes sense. He's a student and he's top 10. How many times has Gus, has Ben been top 10 in the World Cup? Shitloads. So, yes. Under 23s isn't the spot for you when you're top 10, top 10, top 10. Get over to Europe and race the World Cup. Let's go. Like, get on your bike. Let's do this. And uh, so I fully support that with Ben making that decision. And I don't know. It's, it's a tough thing, but I just kind of breaks my heart. I think it's really cool that we have under 23s and World Juniors in Canada. Really, really cool to get these Euros to come. And under 23s can be pretty weak sometimes because the best under 23 athletes are the best in the world, especially on the women's side of things lately. And when I saw the athletes that are coming from Norway, especially over for under 23s, I was like, damn, like have like insanely good skiers are coming to under 23s this year. And they're coming to Canada and they're going to take the shot. Thought it was really, really cool. So I think it's a missed opportunity for, for Olivier, but that said, like, of course, like cheer him on. I w- wish the best for him. And like, it's great. And then you hear things like, Oh, this is the plan for the Olympics or like, yeah, because those Norwegians that are coming to under 23s don't want to do well in the Olympics in 2026. Like, shut up with a four-year plan or eight-year plan. Like, get out of here. Everybody wants to win always. Like, that's what competitive sport is. So, I mean, some secret, like, that's some fucking bullshit is what it is. I, I just want to quickly interject that I had completely forgotten about uh, World Juniors E23s being in Vancouver. And so I... I, I hereby withdraw my my objections to uh to what what i objected to earlier um notwithstanding the fact that it, it prompted some good discussion here so um should we uh move on to sunday and uh team sprints we could probably go through that pretty quick yeah i wanted to ask you a question did you notice something they changed the whole qualification style of things so 15 teams in the final instead of it's usually been 10 made for some busy racing. I mean, but at the same time, if you're trying to get some excitement, like, you know, you know, because like, I mean, you, everyone that listens to this knows how much I can't stand world cup team sprints. Cause like the stakes are low. They're usually pretty boring. 
I don't know. But <laughs> I have to admit, like I was watching this one with like a little bit of more of like kind of like my hand under my chin going like, okay, let's see how this goes with 15 teams in the final. And space was really – Yeah, and flat course, fast <laughs> fast laps too, even though it was grinding. We saw that. People were just coming undone all over the place. But um, <laughs> you know what I mean? I actually – I actually think it was exciting. It was fun to watch. I'm kind of cautiously, I'm kind of cautiously optimistic about 15 teams in the final. Lavinia yeah. was kind of tricky because you have so much space, so it was wide enough that people yeah. could actually maneuver around. Not all courses are like that. But I was a real, like, as I normally am, like a curmudgeon and like, like get off my lawn. Don't change what I know and what I like, even though I don't like what I know, which is World Cup team sprints. Like, don't change it. And then I saw it and I'm I'm, I'm not gonna i'm not gonna go on one side or the other i, I kind of i think it was actually okay with 15 teams in the final well, i don't know and and i got no beef with that decision either in spite of having beef with like many other things that fist does mainly because you know i feel like you would watch those team sprints on on tv and it, a no one really like gave a shit about the semifinal races like it was always weird it was like games were being played and then just like with the way that teams would advance it was the top two teams and then the top two teams from the other semi and then like the six other teams with the fastest times which is just like i don't know it just didn't really seem like a very coherent strategy so i, I i'm totally open to trying to trying something new um they didn't really televise that like the um the way they did like it was like an individual qualification and times added which was which was kind of weird but no i mean i i I thought those the the races themselves were were actually pretty good. I mean, people I, it was it was kind of hard to to follow just because the pack was so big and the television production was like a little iffy. But um, but uh, there were people like crashing all over the place. It was just like all of a sudden, like where's where's Norway? <laughs> what happened to what happened to uh, Taugbol? He's just like gone. Um, and I feel like that happened with like a couple different teams, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed the team sprint. And I, I feel like, I feel like that event rarely disappoints usually. Yeah. Like those first two to four laps can be like pretty boring, but the, it almost always makes up for it with the level of excitement of that last lap, both the scramble leg and the anchor leg, because the, the first leg always like explodes the pack because everyone is absolutely lactated to shit and dying and you get these big gaps and then you tag off and you have a completely different mix of people with different levels of fitness. And so things get scrambled again. And I just feel like team sprints are reliably the most fun to watch. I disagree on the world cup, but I see where your point is. And I love it on the championship because you just feel the energy and the tension in the air. And I'm not just saying that because I've had success in team sprints in the championship. Uh, but, but it's like, there's like a real energy when I'm watching, like the stakes are high. And then you have like a bullshit off or something like on the first lap of the final going like, like see you later, all your legs. Like I'm going to just rip them off your body. And then that just changes the whole dynamic. And like you said, like in, in the World Cup, it's a tactical affair. And I, I agree. Like, I, I guess that's probably where I'm like curmudgeon about it prior is like the first two laps, both of the scramble and the anchor on the World Cup. I just feel like it's super tactical. People are going zone two, like or zone three. And then everyone's just waiting for that last lap. And that's what I kind of thought was kind of fun with the 15 teams in the final is like space is so limited. 
that yes, at times you saw them and like you said, good thing you mentioned the, the television production. I was just going to leave it there, but okay, but whatever. But so it was kind of harder to follow than a, say a perfectly produced team sprint. But with space being so limited, you couldn't really fall asleep like we've done the last few years or forever in World Cup team sprints. Because if you do, you end up ninth or 11th in the exchange and then you're coming into like a total disaster. And if you're a team that wants to be fighting for the podium, you have to kind of keep yourself in like top five, you know what I mean? And with that many teams and people taking flyers, people taking risks, like it, 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 it keeps you on your toes. So I thought it was, I thought it was kind of interesting. Of course you mentioned Norway, like just a total train wreck from the men's side. We'll just start with the men, like dudes crashing and, and the altitude biting hard and they just weren't prepared. And it was like, I mean, I can't even remember the last time we've had a fiasco of a team sprint. I maybe never actually, I actually think never that your top team is 15th on the men's team sprint was, for Norway. That, that's, that's a never. They, they, I'll tell you when that's happened before. Never. And so they that, were like, they were, I, I just, I kind of loved it. They were like getting beat up in the press. Like this is a dark day for Norway. And it's like, I mean, okay, kind of, but like it's oh, two weeks after the tour to ski. Everyone was in the national championships. It's a meaningless world cup. Like maybe you guys can relax, like take a shot of Aquabeat and like, we'll be back with you next weekend. It's going to be fine. Yeah, no, exactly. For sure. But I mean, you know, in Norway, this is a big deal. Like it's like football in, in Argentina, you know, like Messi ties his shoes the wrong way and it's over, it's game over. So, but I mean, 50, but, but it, it was space was limited. They were looked horrible. They were not positioning themselves well and they were not adjusted to the altitude. And it was like a calamity of errors and, and they came away with the worst finish in the men's team sprint ever. It, does that have any, like you just said, you summed it up per- beautifully. It's a meaningless world cup. It means nothing for world championships. Claybo didn't even do it. Like, so uh, let's not get our, let's not get our knickers in a knot too much. It, it's not that big a deal, but what was a big deal for me is that Jay and Juve skied a beautiful race. Uh, Juve was again, a total beast in the finishing stretch. Pellegrino and De Fabiani home home course. I mean, neither of them are from Lavigno. They're both from the Aosta Valley, which is on the other side of the Mont Blanc tunnels. So they're actually quite far from Lavigno. That said, they put together like a well-executed race. And I was actually pretty surprised, but I mean, I was also surprised that Pellegrino didn't look all that strong in, in the individual sprint, you know, like getting bumped out in the semis and just again, he probably, like I said, with Rosie, who looked like 85% in her individual sprint, I, I kind of put like, kind of like Pellegrino was about the same. Like he, he was positioning himself well in the team sprint. He was being where he needed to be. And geez, he was still good. They got, they were second, but he, he got beat handily in that, in that sprint to the finish. And yeah, so that's, so that was, that was kind of interesting to watch. And then the Swiss, the, the Swiss youngsters coming third to close out just a wonderful weekend. I know we just shat on the, the calling it a meaningless world cup, but if you're Switzerland, if you're a smaller country, um, that's trying to rebuild and you have two guys in the final in the individual sprint. And then you follow that up with a bronze medal in the team sprint beating like Sweden, beating like good teams, Norway, of course, this is a great day for Switzerland. It was, it was an amazing, like we talked about before, like, I just, I want to see more depth in cross country skiing, the way they were skiing, they were skiing with poise. Um, they weren't in the hunt for winning that, that they were not, they were beaten handily. But uh, they were the best of the rest, and I thought they put together like a great, a great race. You know, uh, Will Coke and, and Bolger, like it was a, it was a rough one. But but it was cool that they made, they were able. It was cool that they were able to mix it up with the top fifteen, and that'll help. And I, I do agree with you. I want to echo what you said earlier about Bolger. I, I've been, I'm, I cheer so 
I cheer loudly for him. He's a good guy and he's shown some real flash flashes in the last few seasons. And you just, you want to see him build that, you know, you want to see him build those kind of results that he gets every once in a while, those semifinals and also how he skis takes up a lot of space, looks good. And it, and this year has been incredibly disappointing. So to see him in the semi was cool. And then he gets a chance to, to mix it up in the, in the, in the finals. And like, they were just kind of whatever, but the women's, Wait, wait, wait. So we we just gotta also take a pause here that you know this is the 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 first the first coming of the second coke too. I mean, don't just like don't just like breeze right past that. The the first uh, World Cup start for Will Coke, son of Bill Coke. This is like you know this is like potentially our version of Alex Harvey here. Yeah, but that's where I'm gonna stop you because it's kind of like the yin and the yang. Like Pierre Harvey was a decent skier but he has three world cup wins i have three world cup wins like you know it's not that big a deal alex harvey mind you is a freaking legend you know with a couple individual world cup world championship gold medals top three in the overall number of years too many individual medals at the world championships to count and on the opposite side of things bill coke is an absolute legend overall world cup winner olympic silver medalist blah 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 and Will Coke is kind of like the Pierre Harvey of that, that relationship. Like the hype was big and then he just hasn't been able to deliver yet. He's super young. It's really exciting. I'm just making, I'm making a fun yeah. joke. It's, yeah, I think, sure. I think it's, it's fun to see him. I'm cheering for him. I think it's cool that he gets, gets exposure and the U S team. I mean, I sing the praises of the U S team too much and we get some hate mail about that. Like some, I'm not going to name any names but people be like, you don't know really what's going on behind the scenes. Like it's not like the U S team does everything perfect. And that, that may be true, but I do really think that on their development side of things to, to expose some of these guys for some international experience, get them hyped, get them around people like Rosie, get them around people like Jesse, see how the best in the world are and how they're acting and how they, how they execute, see how the techs work, see how the whole scene is get comfortable. Um, yeah. Okay. So they were anonymous. Like a guy like Will Coke's weekend was incredibly anonymous, but you know, that's how it starts. Not everyone can hit the ground running like Alex Harvey and come third and, a first in a 50 K in Norway as a first year senior. I mean, there's not many athletes that are as special as, as Alex Harvey and uh, God, I hope he doesn't listen to that. Cause he doesn't need any more. He doesn't need any more confidence even in his retirement, but that the, the truth hurts. Alex is a total legend and was a beast from day one. And uh, not everyone is so fortunate and talented as Alex. So it's cool. But it's cool to, to expose these guys to, to yeah, give them a chance. <laughs> it was sweet. Bill, Bill Coke went to my high school. So I, you know, there's a, a special spot. I also did uh, actually want to note, I saw on Facebook that uh, Keegan's son, Breck, also uh, had his first ever cross country ski race this weekend. So, you know, 20, mark, mark it down 20 years from this day, not, yeah. not to put any undue pressure on the children of, of, uh, you know, past American champions, like we'll let them live their own lives here, but yeah. um, as long the, as it's for skiing. The, uh, the, the women's race, man, I like just to kind of cut straight to the chase, um, uh, you know, on the one hand, who cares if Sweden one beats Sweden two, but I loved watching Jonas Sundling like throw down with Maya Dahlqvist and, and Maya Dahlqvist, uh, eking out the, the win and celebrating with, uh, with Linz Fawn, like they had just like won a world championship event while their like teammate is kind of like moping on the other side of the, 
finish line. I mean, it seems like everyone's all is good in the Swedish hood, but just like, it must be interesting kind of managing like all of those, uh, really talented athletes on the Swedish team. Like who's going to be their team sprint team at world championships. Who's who are going to be their yeah. starters in the sprint. I mean, they get an extra, I think they get an extra spot in the sprint. Yeah. They get the five, but still, but yeah. still it's going to be, it was a huge fight last year. You remember, you know, yeah. last year at the Olympics, you have like, you have um, Johanna not being able to start the sprint after like being on the podium a bunch. So like, it's, it's a really, really, really tough needle thread. And I agree. It was pretty funny, but the Americans, Rosie and Julia, what a, what a really inspiring race. And I think it's, it shows and speaks volumes to the depth now. I mean, it's not really, you know, Julia is not coming out of the woodwork here. I mean, she's, she's really been, lifting her game she has individual medals on the world cup as well so like she's not somebody that's that's uh, anonymous by any stretch of the imagination but you know jesse diggins the greatest american skier by far sits it out and yeah it doesn't really matter because rosie and julia put themselves in the right positions made the right tactical decisions all the way across and sure in the final like they weren't up to snuff with the best women's sprint team ever in the history of our sport uh, I thought it was a fantastically well-executed race. I thought it was amazing to see them be paid for for such a cool-headed race by the Americans. They they just always seem to be in the right position. I I, I was really impressed. So I have a question for you, um, which is uh, it's going to be I think a skate team sprint at World Championships in Slovenia. You are Matt Wickham and Chris Grover, and you have to pick. Julia Kern, Jesse Diggins, Rosie Brennan, you got two out of three. Uh, who are you, who are you sitting on the bench right now and who's on your team? Yeah, I'm sorry to say, but I mean, I put Rosie in there. I mean, just, just because I put Rosie Diggins. I mean, you got to see how the championship's playing out. Like you, you have to just see how people are skiing. Uh, you know, I also picked Jesse Diggins to win the tour to ski, like, or like be like right there with Frida Carlson. And that didn't really materialize. So you got to take everything I say with a grain of salt, but here's my argument. Julie is amazing and she is really lifted her game, but Rosie strength isn't necessarily her speed, even though she has world cup victories in sprinting, uh, but her victory, a victory in, in sprinting. That said, her endurance and her wherewithal and her strengths on a championship sprint course, if you open with Rosie, she's just such a safe pick. She's like the dream scramble leg in a team sprint because she's not going to be making that many waves. And no, she's not going to be like a Bolshinov type that like on the first leg of the final just destroys everybody. But that said, she it's going to be hard pressed to drop her. It's going to be really, really hard pressed to drop because when, like we just covered earlier, when does, when do the fireworks really, really happen? The third leg of the final and people have a lot of rounds in their legs and normally uh, a Sunling or a Linsvan or, or even a Dalkist or something is like very, very scary in a sprint. But the third leg of the team sprint, Rosie's not that far behind when everyone's kind of loaded, you know, when everyone has loaded legs, is it going to be, hard pressed to like just shatter Rosie and get her to lose 10 seconds. And then when you have a closer, like, like Jesse Diggins, who's the toughest female athlete on the world cup mentally, and also the best descender and the best to take speed out of the corners. 
I mean, you have a really, really, really strong team with 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 Rosie and Jesse. That's my that's my opinion. But but I mean, Julia is an amazing substitute, and Julia is also young, so. I don't want to like count Rosie out completely for something like Cortina or even like Trondheim and stuff. And I hate to say this out loud, but I'm going to, cause that's just how it is. Like, you know, there's more yesterdays than there are tomorrows for Rosie Brennan in her career. And there's more tomorrows than there are yesterdays for, for Julia Kern. So the future looks really, really bright for, for, for Julia. She'll get a lot of other chances. Whereas like Rosie is at the top of her game now and she has been for the last few years, but if you're a betting man, if you were to say that Rosie's going to be also at the top of her game in four years from now as she is to today, I, I I would I don't think I would take that bet personally. Sadly, that's just that's just the reality. So, but it's going to be fun, and these are the kind of stories that I'm actually really excited for Worlds because you have teams now in Canada, sorry, in um, in the U.S., Sweden, um, Norway, even Finland. Honestly, like you, like the team sprint's a super fun event at the championship, and and not just the race itself, but all the all the kind of tough decisions for the staff and the athletes themselves to, to pick the teams when they only can start two and you got some of the best teams in the world. It's tough. And, uh, man, I, I don't envy people in that situation. I have one other observation that I just want, wanted to throw out there, which is, um, if, if Fist is lit, listening, which I'm sure Fist is not listening because they probably don't listen. Fist. Don't, Fist, you don't need to listen to this. Well, I just don't <laughs> think they're like, they don't, I, Fist probably doesn't even like know what a podcast is. Like they're still <laughs> counting out prize money on an abacus or something. But, um, <clears throat> I would love to see, like, can we just flip around the order of, uh, of, of sprint heats? Like for once, can we have the men race first and the women race second. It's like, it feels like they always set up the men to be like the featured and main event, but I hate to break it to you fists. Like women's racing is more exciting than men's racing right now. And it's like, we always do the same things the same way in those sprint races. And like, why, why don't you just. I agree. There's no, there's no reason. There's no reason why we can't just alternate in the sprints uh, every once in a while. We do that in distance racing. Yep. It's not like the men always race second <clears throat> in distance races on the world cup. So I agree with you. Like, why not? I, I think, uh, and I agree with you. I mean, of course, you know, I agree with you with the excitement. Uh, the women's sprints have been amazing. So I, I agree. That's a good suggestion. So Fisk, if you're listening, which you're not, that's something to think about. Um, one thing before we bounce from this whole thing, there's a couple of things we got some housekeeping to do, but before that, I really like went on a rant about Frida Carlson about like Fist not waiting to like have the tour de ski winner on the podium. And you're sending those pictures out and I'm watching on live TV as there's a Swedish national anthem with the top step of the podium empty, which is like, I'm still like, I'm still flabbergasted that that happened. Like that, I feel like you have to pinch me. Like that is, that is the biggest, that is amateur hour to the nth degree. Then I'm watching the final in the individual sprint and Ribom does not have a bib on. She has no bib. So it looks like not only is it Swedish dominance, Ribom, who's like one of the best sprinters in the world, is out for like a time trial. She's doing intervals. Do you know what I mean? And she's like mixing it. I'm like, she doesn't have a bib on. Like, what the hell is going on? And again, same kind of thing. I, and in the end, the story is actually pretty funny because you stress, everyone's stressed before final. That's totally fair. And if you're a woman, it's a brutal deal. Because if you have to pee, if you just happen to have to pee before a race, you have a one-piece suit. What do you have to do with that bib? You have to take it off, right? So she found the bib or they they found the bib afterwards in the bathroom. 
because she had to take it off and then she was done peeing. She like puts her suit back on, puts her warm up jacket, puts her bubble jacket on, puts everything out and goes out and like forgets that the bib's not there till she like takes off her, her clothes, like two minutes like, to go. Are they going to disqualify again, her or what? You know? No, no, no. They gave her a yellow card. They gave her a yellow card okay. and they let her race, which, which I think like, honestly, that's probably like in the circumstances. Totally. Fair. Like total, yeah. totally. Totally. Yeah. You got to like, but that said, I'm also like, we don't have any spare bib. Like, I just think, can we not delay this race five minutes? Who cares? Like, I know there's TV. I know it cuts into like Kitzbühel's going on. There's jumping. There's like a lot of other sports. I, I get it. I get it. But at the same time, you're trying to sell something. And it looks horrendously bad. When well, the final, the marquee, the marquee of the whole sprint, one of the best athletes in the world is out doing a time trial. It just looks weird so i would have said like not to stress rib them out because like now she's all stressed if they're waiting but i think in that situation you have to be you have to delay it you ha- everyone has to have a bib on their chest it just looks that, that, like that can't happen i'm sorry I, I don't know how you i don't know how you solve that in such a short time notice i understand that that's a real challenge but even if you had a blank bib where somebody like sharpied a number like like big like in big letters or something like so it looks kind of heat big but at least there's a sponsor on there. I don't know. I just, I had to I bring mean, it up. I, I it, thought it was weird. I've never seen it, that before. I never, this, I've never seen that before in a race. It, at this point, I'm just like, I think my standards have been so far lowered that I'm like, <laughs> what do you, what do you expect at this point? You know, like they, they were showing graphics for like, they had the first women's individual sprint heat and they showed the lineup for the first individual men's sprint heat. And then, you know, they're showing cuts. They're, they're showing the, the camera angle down the home stretch is like a tight shot on whoever's leading the race. So you can't actually see if it's close. And I'm just like, I am given up, man. I I'm not, I don't, it's, I can't complain about fists anymore because they suck so bad. I just think, you know, write me a, write me a check, a hundred thousand Swiss francs. I'll, I'll move, uh, I'll move to um, Zurich or whatever it is. I'll take this over. I will run the tightest fucking ship. Like people are going to get fired from these camera crews uh, Devin's going to be the, the new, uh, play-by-play in between, uh, in between medical school lessons. Like we'll get it, we'll get the ship pointed in the right direction, sorted out. But like right now it's just like, yeah, come on. I mean, of course, of course she doesn't have a bib. I mean, what else, what else are we going to see in the future? They're going to be, you know, stuff's going to be backwards. They're going to be I don't know, something with the cheese is going to go or the, one of the cheese banners is going to come down on the course. It just, yeah. Nothing surprises you anymore. You're just, you're, you're over it. You're over it. Okay. Okay. That's fair. But I, I was surprised. Maybe, maybe this is the last drop. I, I, yeah. I was surprised. Uh, some housekeeping as we wrap this puppy up. Awesome questions. Thanks so much. There will be a mailbag. I, in addition to having two children in medical school in the city, two hours away from where I live, I got smacked with influenza, baby. So the last two, two weeks, I have been a dead man walking. It was just stage five man flu. It was touch and go whether or not I was going to like come out of this one, um, which annoyed my wife to no end because, you know, sometimes you get sick and, but I just can't not complain. Um, so it was rough. So we, we actually, in, in this good break that we had, uh, I was, feeling like death and and that you had a bunch of other stuff going on with some travel. So we didn't get to the mailbag episode yet, but it is imminent. 
thank you for the questions and we'll answer as many of them as we can. And it'll be kind of like a fun, fun kind of thing. Maybe we can get Alex Harvey or if you, if, you know what, if you guys would like to hear someone uh, that you've heard before on the podcast or someone new that you think will be fun for a kind of question mailbag episode, send us an email with some suggestions. Let's see if we can get them on and, and answer the questions as a, a collective. That's always fun. And those that have been waiting for the big man on campus from Canada, Tony Sear, Antoine Sear to jump on the pod. Cause we said we would, and we are going to really exciting news. There is Tony. He stayed over in Europe, of course, again, like what we just talked about, if you're top five all over the place, if you're like top six in races and stuff like your damn rights, you're staying in Europe. He's racing in Lerus, which was touch and go there. They had to pull that together in really short notice. Uh, really stoked, really stoked that Tony gets to race in Lerus next weekend. Great races there for him with the classic sprint and 20 K classic and head of world championships, really, really fun. So people that are North American ski fans or Canadian ski fans that, that want to have some Canadians to cheer for, cause they've decided to do their preparations in, in Canada ahead of the world championships this year. I'll leave it there for now. You could probably guess what I think about that, but we're, we'll just leave it there. Um, Tony is in Europe and he'll race next weekend. And Barring no disasters, Tony will join us for the breakdown of Laodice so you can hear a fun-loving uh, future superstar from Quebec, the the new Alex Harvey. He's already too late for that. Sorry, Tony, you're good, but you're not Alex Harvey good at your age yet. So, But you know what? The future's, the future's right. Look at Rosie. Look at Rosie. You know, Tony's a lot younger than Rosie was when she broke through. So uh, anyway, really excited. So we're going to have him as a guest for Laodice so you can you guys can look forward to that. Thanks for sticking with us. We'll be back.